The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. A group of high school students. High school students. Elizabeth and high school students started a project to research a string of unsolved murders. Their research led to the identification of the killer. Investigators now have an answer to a 34-year-old question. Once you start getting a few tips or a few leads or a few identifications, then the cold case isn't so cold anymore. There's a pretty good chance he's still alive. Everything that the students predicted through their profile turned out to be accurate. Redhead killer profile, male, Caucasian, 5'9 to 6'2, 180 to 270 pounds, unstable home, absent father and a domineering mother, right-handed, IQ above 100, most likely heterosexual. There is no profile of this killer except for the ones the students created. Just because some of these women no longer have people to speak for them does not mean that they deserve to not be spoken for. What if this guy's still alive? Like, what if he comes after us? I said, are you going to kill me? And he said, yes. This is Murder 101, Season 1, Episode 6, Tying It All Together. I'm Jeff Shane, a television and podcast producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker, Courtney Armstrong, and Andrew Arno. Mr. Campbell and his students were confident that Jerry John's surviving victim held the clues to the mystery. Mr. Campbell called me with an exciting update. (laughs) You're not gonna believe what I just found. It almost sounds like a country song. The woman I've been looking for for five years, and I just found her. Who? So the hero of our story is Linda She was the lady who Jerry Johns attempted to kill. I mean, as far as I understand it, she she stopped breathing. Like she was dead. And then she spontaneously revived on the side of the road. And uh, because she was immediately able to go and get help and tell the police where he was and the car he was driving and all that, he was arrested and put in prison for 40 years. And, of course, that's where he died. And so without her and her will to live, none of this would have been possible. So... 
for example, the only way they've been able to relate him back to any of these other cases is because his DNA was found on Tina Farmer. The only reason they had his DNA in the system is because he went to prison on a felony charge for trying to kill her. And she fits very much into the victim profile, correct? Oh, yeah. She's, she's redheaded. She's white. She's, she's small. She's, she's the right age. She was like early, mid, mid-20s. Her will to live, you know, and, and her tenacity is the reason why he's been able to be tied to all these murders. And I have looked for her for a long time, different ways, you know, social media and, and different type of research places. But finally, I was able to get on uh, one of the research sites online, kind of ancestry research sites, and combine that with some information I found in the case file that is public knowledge because, you know, they took that case to trial. We were able to piece it together, and I've, I found her. Wow. And have you made contact yet? No. It's kind of like the dog who chased the car and, uh, you know, caught it. Like, wow, now that you know how to contact this person, like, what do you say? You know, obviously she was, you know, working at a gentleman's club and, and she was in a tough situation, recently divorced, had a small child. And, you know, she's trying to make ends meet. Of course, worst night of her life, I'm sure, almost dies, you know, meets meets a serial killer and survives. So, you know, on one hand, you probably think she's she's worked really hard to not run that and move on from it. But on the other hand, I think does she even know like what she means to this case, to all these women, to their families? Uh, she she probably doesn't, you know, because this the point is nobody's paying attention to this case. Nobody's putting all these these things together. And I don't even know if she realizes that the guy who almost killed her has been linked to this other murder and you know we feel there's plenty of evidence that links him to several more so i don't even know if she knows that and you know but i think she deserves to know that without her you know none of this work would have been possible and then i pulled some pictures off her facebook and it's her i mean it's just her just just it's her so what do you think what should we do about this i mean you don't want to bring up the worst part of somebody's life and make them relive it but on the other hand i've done a lot of work with people who have lost you know, children and stuff. And I've talked to people who've been through some terrible things like that. And what they say is like, you not bring it up. Isn't like I forgot it. <laughs> you know, just because you didn't bring up my son didn't mean I forgot that one of my sons has passed. So, I mean, by not bringing it up, I don't know if, you know, like, oh, she, she had forgotten it until I brought it up. I don't think that's the case. Does she want to relive it? Maybe not. But does she know like what her strength has been able to do for this case you know does she even know that she was like she was his last victim and because she was able to survive it you know her bravery and her courage and her strength like allowed you know other families to know what happened to their loved one and i think everybody deserves to know that don't you yeah and even if she doesn't you know agree to appear we can still tell that story and about her bravery and you know we'll figure out how to be respectful but i agree i mean i think it's definitely worth a phone call to give her the option and just to introduce, you know, yourself. And like you said, she might not know any of this, which is, you know, wild to think about, but certainly something she should be aware of. Yes. I agree with that. Give her the information and uh, let her decide. And, but her story is, it's an amazing story. Like I have the picture that they took of her at the hospital and what she looked like. And I'm going through the hospital report and she was blind for three days because he had choked her so badly, you know, she was put on a liquid diet for weeks. She couldn't even chew or swallow solid food. And like what she went through to, you know, to survive that 
and then have the bravery, of course, to, to carry on with the police and help make that case against him and all that. And I, I can even see it. Like when I read the report, she talks about how scared she is of him and, and others. And, and, but, you know, the fact that she did that and she was part of putting him away and then that led to, you know, the students work and, and new breaks in the case. And if it wasn't been for the DNA and, and that previous case. And, and another thing, I didn't even mention this, but in that case file, of course, Jerry Leon Johns uses her own T-shirt, cuts it into strips and binds her with it. And eventually that's how he chokes her, a ligature made from her own T-shirt. And then, you know, you start looking at the Tina Farmer case. She was choked with a ligature made from her T-shirt. And then you look at the Tracy Sue Walker case. They find cloth ligature with a similar knot in it beside her body, even though she'd probably been dead for maybe as long as four or five years. And then now there's other Jane Doe's, like the DeSoto County Jane Doe, which also was found with a ligature. And, you know, if we couldn't have had that evidence and like we have, we still have those same ligatures down here in the National Archives, excuse me, in the state archives. And we've got pictures of those. And because of that, we can compare those to the others used in different crimes and link him back to those, even if we don't have DNA. So uh, she's the linchpin in the case. I mean, I don't know if she realizes, you know, she's the hero of this story and her bravery, like, is what set all this stuff in motion. And even though that was like 35 years ago. And I'll see if I can get up the nerve to, to call Linda and see how she feels about that. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims 
For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Murder 101. Later, Mr. Campbell dialed Linda's number. Hello? Is this Linda? Yes. Uh, yeah, my name is Alex Campbell, and I'm a school teacher from down in East Tennessee. And actually, one of the things I do is I let my students work on cold cases. And uh, hold on, wait a minute. Okay, you what? Yeah, I, I'm a school teacher in East Tennessee, high school teacher. And uh, one of the things I do is I let my students work on cold cases as part of our studies. And I think your name might have come up in connection with a case in Knoxville in 1985. Is that you? Yeah. Um. Where in where, where where do you teach? So I teach at Elizabethan High School. After switching her call to a landline for better service, Mr. Campbell conveyed just how important she was to the club's investigation. Yeah, I promise that I will keep this uh, however you want it to be kept. If you want me to just keep it between me and you, that that'll be how we'll do it. And really, it's just a, you, I'm sorry. You know, go ahead. I, I just went through. They put me through so much. I want to be honest with you. We have really been looking for a long time to find you, my students and I, because I don't know if you realize it, but like you, um, and I'm really emotional about it. It seems kind of funny, but like, I think you've really helped save and help a lot of people through, through what you were able to do. Well, that's the only reason I was able to do it was knowing that I, and I'm sure I saved women's lives. I mean, there's no reason for me to be alive except the good Lord let me live. Mr. Campbell filled Linda in on the work of the 2018 class and the work that Riley and Marley were currently doing. She was able to provide some interesting information. What I wanted to tell you, I didn't know if, if you kept up with, with what had happened recently, but did, did you know that they had tied Jerry Johns to a murder of another lady? Yeah, the, and she looked very similar to me. The, the, they, um, somebody called me, an um, FBI agent called me a couple of years ago. And told me, I didn't even know Jerry Johnson died. But he called me and told me that they used DNA and proved that he'd killed this other girl. They questioned me when it happened, right, you know, after it happened. There were dozens of girls that looked a lot like me, you know. And they called them the redhead murders. And then the judge told them they weren't allowed to mention the redheaded murders anymore because it would mess up the case. The only case could be mine, you know, but that's the only thing I could try him on. So, so anyway, I knew that there were a lot of other women that had died, and, I, and he said there was a lady that, that they found her body after it happened. Now, they, um, there were I, I, FBI or TV, I, 
there are these people from all over, you know, all over the country came together and, and met with me about, and um, they, they're women that are sent cases that were similar. In fact, the, the knot that he tied is evidently was a, some sort of, you have to be a, spe- I mean, it's a special knot like you learn to tie. And evidently each one that was, had that same tie, sorry, it's hard, it's hard. Um, um, and, and that's, and, oh, God, anyway, um, but he had his logbook, they said, made it look like he, he was different places and he couldn't have killed those other women. See, he had a brother, too. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne, he went by the name Wayne, that was his middle name. Yeah, well, um, he, uh, he was with him, but now this FBI, TBI, whoever he was, talked to me last, said there's pretty sure he knew nothing about it, even though they were together, at, you know, at, traveling together. So I don't know if they, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if they've done DNA testing on these other women or not, but there were a whole bunch of them that they questioned me about. And we sat at this big, huge, long table, and each, there were photographs of all these women, and some of them looked like photographs of me. Wow. Um. Well, the reason, one of the reasons um, I was trying to find you is that it seems like now there's a chance where he can be tied to maybe several of these murders and these families can figure out, you know, who's responsible and they can get some closure. And the truth is, it, yeah, it's been decades. If, if it doesn't happen now, a lot of the agents and everything have already retired or passed on. The evidence has been lost. Yeah, I think the one that took care of me, that uh, uh, he died, um, Johnson, Larry Johnson. The name's familiar. Is that the policeman? He was a TBI agent, and he did a lot of work on the case, but maybe that was after, you know, maybe the fact. So I'm not really sure, but anyway, I've, I've spoken with him. But, but what I wanted to say was, um, and it's, it's so funny, I, this might seem weird to you, but, like, I've poured my life into this for five years trying to f- prove that he is responsible for many other people suffering and their families and just trying to get them some closure. And it seems like we're really close. Like, I could tell you a lot of things, but what I really wanted to tell you was that this is a terrible, it's a terrible, tragic story for a lot of people and a lot of families. But if there's a hero, it's you. And, like, your will to live, you know, is what got him arrested and kept him off the streets and the DNA, you know, that they took from him once he was put in prison is what can help maybe some of these families. It's already helped some, but it can help the rest of these families figure out what happened, who was responsible, and let them move on. And so, anyway, it's just, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. And you're, you're such a strong lady, you know, and this might seem weird too, but for five years I've had your picture um, from your hospital report. On my, phone, on, my, on my computer, and every morning I see it, and it reminds me I've got to keep working to try to help these other families um, get some justice. And your story is amazing, and you're the strongest woman I believe I've ever known. Oh, my gosh. No, not true. But well, at the time, my husband was alive, and he, he, I never told him what happened. And he, 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 he's gone now, so. I'm sorry. It's easier for me to talk about it. My students and I are getting ready to present a case 
about the girl who was just identified. She was found very near Tina Farmer in Campbell County, and this girl disappeared from a town just, just right over from her, and yet they were found here eight hours drive away right beside of each other. So we feel that he's probably connected to that one. Tina Farmer was pregnant, and her baby died with her, and we think he there was another murder. I don't know if you remember that one. It was in Greene County in 1985. Uh, right, they found her body right after... Uh, your case. And so we think there's another victim in Greene County and probably others in in Mississippi. And so my students are going to be presenting to uh, the police in Mississippi and to the police in Indiana. And they're trying to help help them put it together because the TBI works cases in Tennessee, but they don't really share, you know, it's not really their jurisdiction to think about people in Mississippi. So there's nobody helping these police agencies kind of connect it so when I called Mississippi, they didn't even know that there was somebody who was, you know, harming women, that everything matched, but it was just 30 minutes north in Tennessee, and they hadn't even heard of it, and they didn't know there was a suspect. For, for, and it, I did talk to people in Mississippi and Alabama and, and numerous states, and like I said, UPI, everybody, I mean, it was in every paper in the country. My daddy heard about it, and he lived in Chicago, and he heard about it while I was in the hospital. So, I mean, from the, he heard it on the news. Yeah. What has happened is all those detectives have retired or died, and so, and so they don't know anymore. When I talked to Mississippi, he said, I inherited this case. Somebody else had it. They retired. I've got it. And I don't know anything about it. I wasn't even a police officer then. So, like, we're trying to keep the attention on these cases because we are so close with just a few DNA tests. I think a lot of these cases could be kind of finalized. And, and I've talked to family members. I talked to Tina Farmer's sister. I uh, communicated with her niece yesterday and some different ones. And, you know, it's, it's hard Knowing that your loved one is gone, I mean, that doesn't change that. But, um, for example, I talked to a lady who was only like a year old when her mom went missing. And she said, you know, it's bad to know that your mom, you know, was murdered. But she said, I always thought my mom didn't come home because she didn't want me. And she said it was better to hear that she couldn't come home than she didn't want to come home. And I know, like, it doesn't change the fact that the person's gone, but they still do want to know, like, why didn't their loved one come home? And so we're working really hard. I know he had a wife. He did. He had a wife, and I've and we've conversed with her. And uh, same thing. She was just so shocked. But have you you've talked to her? Well, uh, one of the guys who did the research for the podcast went down and spoke with her. Well, she I'm, she she got divorced after it, but when she went during the trial. She, thought he was innocent i guess i i mean i don't know yeah she she had no idea she the whole family he put on a show and the whole family thought he was the nicest guy but that's the way it is with people like this they they they're very good at hiding themselves but when that and i from what i understand of the case i've read your case file i mean at first he seems like a really nice guy but whenever he lets his true self out it's just it's you know it's monstrous well, one day I'll tell you, I'll tell you the whole, uh, I'll, you know, I, I just, right now I'm, I'm having trouble thinking, and I don't have time to think. i got to get it together. When Riley heard about the call, she was unsurprisingly very happy with the development. I am just driving home from practice. Had a very long day. It's Friday, thank goodness. I'm so excited for the weekend. 
words can't even describe how excited I am. But this week was a really good week. It was very hectic, but we had a very good day, or a very good week, rather, working with our case study, our victim profiles. Also, our teacher, Mr. Campbell, he was able to talk with Linda and get her perspective, which was, I mean, wow, that was just honestly amazing. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, she is really the only person that we know of that saw Jerry Leon John in that moment and survived to tell the tale. Got to see him at his evil, showing his true colors, I guess is what I'm trying to say. She's the only person who saw who he truly was and lived to tell the tale. He thought he killed her. She saw firsthand how brutal and savage and truly evil he was, and she can tell us about that. I think that is just insane. She doesn't live around here anymore, and I'm really excited to see where that leads us, and the fact that she's open to working with us, talking to us about this, I think that is going to be an extreme game changer. And honestly, her coming forward and sharing her story, who knows? There could be other survivors we don't know about. Like we talked about previously, these women, they worked in trades that might have not been something they wanted people to know. Some of them were sex workers, transient women. Um, they would not have wanted to come forward maybe if they were, if he, they'd encountered him through, you know, getting hired for sex work, different things like that. But seeing Linda come forward and hearing her tell her tale, who knows? This might open the gate for so many other women who were like, yeah, I encountered this man who drove a truck and he tried to rape me and kill me. Or he tried to kill me and strangle me. Like, we don't know what this could lead to. So I think that's awesome. Another thing that's really, it's just been a big week, but something else that's been insanely awesome is we've got a not expert to look at the different ligatures that were used on Linda. And Mr. Campbell is looking more into that to see if possibly he could go down to Nashville and take some better pictures of the knots because the expert told us um, he identified one or two of the knots and he said he needs to see them in more dimensions to see like the backside of them, different things like that. I'm really excited to see what happens if we could possibly identify any new or um, similar knots in the different ligatures of different victims. I think that would be really cool if we could make a connection say, oh, you know, Tracy Sue Walker had this kind of knot in her ligature and Linda had the exact same kind of knot. Well, these kind of knots are commonly used with truck drivers. And I just think that would be, that could tell us a lot about different cases. I mean, it's not an end-all be-all, but it's just more evidence that makes this even more convincing. It was great to see some of these things that we've been working towards and working for come to fruition and just get reassured by some people who have quite a bit more experience than us. But yeah, I'm very excited to see what the future holds and what else we can find out. Let's stop here for another quick break. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. 
Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Murder 101. In the hopes of tying everything together, the club spoke to world-renowned not-expert Lindsay Philpot. One of the things you said was uh, on the, the picture I sent you of the ligature, you said that you could maybe make out what what that knot was you think that's a granny knot i believe so yes so that appears to be a granny knot 29 shows it most clearly yeah yeah so how how sure are you like you just 100 percent sure that's what that is yes okay and so that's a you say that's a relatively easy knot for people to tie or learn how to tie it's very easy because uh, you just do the same thing twice uh, when you're making a granny knot you either tie left over right and tuck it under and then do that again or you tuck right uh, under left and uh, do it again mm-hmm. now i know you said it's pretty you know it's pretty easy to tie a lot of people know how to tie it but are there any applications or jobs where people tie it a lot for example there are a number of places where non knot tires tie a lot of the same thing because as the old saying goes, if you can't tie the right knot, tie lots. <laughs> yeah. So 
people tend to repeat something if they think that it's working. Um, have you ever seen the show Survivor? Uh, yes, it's been a while. And in that, they generally have a number of uh, knots uh, that are used to hold things like bags or keys or something like that, that people then have to undo. And in fact, what most of those are, are overhand uh, knots um, and half hitches. Let me ask you this question. So I can see that there's hair wrapped up in this knot. Is this a good knot to tie if you're going to strangle somebody? Because it doesn't cinch up, does it? Uh, it does cinch up and it uh, jams. Okay, what, what does that mean? What does jam mean? Uh, it means it can't be undone easily. Oh, so this would be a good knot for people to tie if you were trying to strangle somebody. Well, uh, it is and it isn't. Um, you know, depending on um, how well you want the knot to hold, uh, then a jamming knot is uh, a good knot to have. Um, however, if you want to be able to undo it again, then a jamming knot is not a good knot to have. Now, in this case, I'm assuming uh, that there would be a need for uh, having some sort of knot that jammed. Does that mean that the person that tied it knew that before they tied it? No, not necessarily anyway. Okay, so I, I actually interviewed the lady who this, this was used on, and uh, he just left it on her body. And uh, when she came to, she said she had a hard time getting it undone. Does that sound like it would, it fits with? Yeah, that's absolutely consistent. And uh, one that's tied as tightly as that is, uh, it's extremely likely that it would be very difficult to undo unless you had a stick or a, a, a screwdriver or some other uh, metal implement that you could actually uh, use to insert into the knot and then be able to lever it open. Uh, but uh, basically, if I ever come across a knot that I want to undo and I find that it was a granny knot, I'll take a knife to it. Okay, let me let me ask you this. Um, I, I think I found online that you had been called as an expert sometimes in, in court cases or criminal cases. Uh-huh. So in other, other killers who use ligatures like this, is this a common knot in that case or is this kind of an uncommon knot? I would say it's a, a common knot in... Uh, knots of uh, criminal passion. Um, it's not a common knot where the individual that tied it is more completely aware of other forms of knot that may be more convenient, may be more speedy, may be more um, convenient to tie. Okay. So, I mean, can you give an estimate maybe on... Maybe the, how many cases have you have you consulted on like this before? Uh, I would say probably twenty, maybe twenty-five. Do you, Do you have any idea how often a knot similar to this is used, like a percentage or anything? No, I I would have to guess, and I I really don't enjoy guessing. <laughs> okay, okay. I was just asking. Uh, I was just trying to understand maybe if this was common or uncommon, um, as far as people who use you know tied ligatures is. I would say it's common, probably more than half, but uh, I have no uh, data to back that up. Um, but it looks like that, that the part of the shirt that was torn off to make the ligature was like the neck or something. It's like a hem. Is that what you're seeing there? 
Yeah, it's something from a, a, a seam or other joining of uh, two pieces of fabric, and uh, that forms the stronger part of the fabric of a t-shirt, whether it's the neck or the arm or the uh, hem around the bottom. If you're using a, a fabric of any sort, you'll look for whatever is the uh, toughest part of that fabric, and the toughest part of the fabric, even though it's technically uh, weakened by the knots, it is strengthened by the folding of the uh, fabric on either side, and then the uh, close and tight stitching that's used along it to be able to uh, derive a relatively strong, and, and relative is a very important word there, a relatively strong ligature. Mr. Philpot continued to explain the significance. Using the fabric itself by itself, if that were ripped apart, and you've undoubtedly seen uh, scenes from uh, movies and from World Wrestling Foundation, uh, people who tear their t-shirt apart, the fabric itself tears very easily, but the seams don't. And as soon as it gets to a seam, that's where people have the greatest difficulty in tearing it apart. Therefore, that's the strongest part. Yeah, it makes sense from the point of view of, well, what's the strongest bit that I've got here? Uh, because I'm afraid of this tearing apart. So, and then they tug on or uh, handle the piece that's got the seam in it and uh, take it from there to use the strength of the seam to form a relatively strong piece of ligature. There was one thing I wanted to share with you, and, and when I when I asked her, we know this was at least his second victim. His DNA was found on the other. However, he was 37 or 38 at this time, and the FBI profiler we work with said there's no way he started killing it at 37 or 38. So, you know, there's probably more, and, and one of the reasons I'm asking is because there was another lady found very close. She was from 400 miles away, yet found very cl- within two miles of the other victim that they found his DNA on. And a ligature, she had been dead for probably six years, at least four years, we know. And there was a ligature found around the neck, the bones, what was left. So we're trying to do the work to see if, you know, he was involved with that one as well. So uh, anyway, your, your, your help on that has been, has been really important. So I want to thank you for your time on this. You're very welcome. Uh, in most of the cases where uh, ligatures are employed, if strangling is a part of the knot time that's gone on, there would generally speaking be some collapse or other breakage of the hyoid bone. And that would be something that the medical examiner should have looked at and prepared in their report. Uh, and that may well be something further to look at. More on that next time. Murder 101 is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Alex Campbell, Courtney Armstrong, Andrew Arno, and me, Jeff Shane. Additional producing by Connor Powell and Gabriel Castillo. Editing by Jeff Twa and Davey Cooperwasser. Music by Vanacore Music. Murder 101 is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.